Adidas has a $1 billion problem that is forcing it to make a very public choice between profit or principles. It's Thursday, March 9th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Let's start from the beginning. In June 2016, Adidas teamed up with Ye, formerly known as Kanye West, to produce co-branded apparel with his Yeezy clothing line. At the time, they called it the most significant partnership ever created between an athletic brand and a non-athlete. If that ends up being true, it's not for the reasons they were hoping. On October 9th of last year, Ye said some anti-Semitic stuff on Twitter. There were signs before that he was going off the rails, but his tweets and the news coverage that followed made his behavior and his beliefs impossible to ignore, even if you had kind of tuned about at some point, which I had years ago, and feel as vindicated as ever for doing that. A few weeks later, Adidas cut ties with Ye. Usually when a brand and a celebrity split because the celebrity did or said some unfortunate things, the story is about the celebrity, how they are losing money, they are getting deplatformed, etc. In this case, the more public fallout is with Adidas, because until Ye said all that stuff, this partnership was going really well. Prior to the split, analysts estimated that the Yeezy brand accounted for as much as 7% of Adidas's total sales. What does that mean? Well, Adidas just came out with their 2022 earnings report, and they had $23.8 billion in net sales. 7% of that is $1.7 billion. That's a rough estimate because that figure includes November and December, and Adidas had already cut things off with EA for those months. But we also know from their earnings that the split just in the fourth quarter of 2022 cost them $633 million in sales. As for how that will affect things in 2023, Adidas estimates twice that figure, $1.3 billion in lost sales, quote, from potentially not selling the existing stock. Yeah, they said potentially, and that gets to the decision I alluded to at the top. They have over a billion dollars in potential revenue from Yeezy branded apparel just sitting in warehouses, and you almost never see this level of corporate anguish in an earnings press release, but just the fact that they said they will potentially not sell that inventory shows that clearly there are people at Adidas who are saying, can't we just sell what we have and not make any more? And that's an option, I just don't see how they do that without looking like massive hypocrites. But if they don't sell the easy apparel they have already, they could be headed for their first annual loss in three decades. To be specific, they estimate that not selling the apparel would lead to a $528 million drop in operating profit in 2023, plus an additional $211 million in one-off costs. With that factored in, they are anticipating to be around break-even in 2023. Their CEO, Bjorn Gilden, seemed essentially resigned to that being the case. Amid a bunch of pretty generic corporate speak in the press release, he said, quote, We need to reduce inventories and lower discounts. We can then start to build a profitable business again in 2024. This is all pretty rough for Adidas, but having principles can be expensive. I would prefer it to be cheap and profitable, but in this case, it's probably going to cost Adidas something north of $2 billion when it's all said and done. But Adidas can afford it, and they made the right choice. They said, sorry, Mr. West is gone. Let's see what else is going on. The Barcelona referee scandal is not going away anytime soon. Spanish prosecutors have expanded the purview of the case to involve not just the refereeing official Barca is accused of bribing, Jose Maria Enriquez Negrera, but also the team itself and its former president, Josep Maria Bartomeu. The team denies all wrongdoing and maintains it was just incredibly good at avoiding penalties for a three-year stretch, which happened to coincide with a period they are paying Negrera's consulting firm. The UK government announced more than £600 million, that's about $710 million, toward providing equal opportunities for both genders in school sports programs. 
Schools in England will be required to offer equal access to sports, including soccer, and provide at least two hours of physical education per week. Last August, England's national women's soccer team wrote a letter to the UK government calling for all girls in the country to have the opportunity to play soccer following the team's victory in the Euro Championships. And opt-out clauses, which have become more popular with athlete contracts, are making their way into media deals. The Athletic reports that Apple has an opt-out clause in its deal with Major League Soccer that they can trigger if not enough people sign up for MLS season pass. Up next, I had a great conversation with Bomani Jones, host of HBO's Game Theory with Bomani Jones and the Right Time podcast with ESPN. We talked about the evolution of television sports talk shows, where he fits into all of that, and I also got an NBA championship prediction out of him. We'll have that conversation right after this. Two thousand, two thousand eight, twenty twenty two. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain: it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over thirty one thousand businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on Netsuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. Netsuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, Netsuite. Netsuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to Netsuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. Okay, I'm joined now by Bomani Jones. He's the host of HBO's Game Theory, which just entered its second season. And he also hosts the Right Time podcast with ESPN. Welcome, Bomani. Hey, man. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. So you're obviously no stranger to TV. Uh, you've been on it for you know, kind of as long as I can remember talking about sports. What's been different for you, new for you, about having your own HBO show in that late night format? I mean, <clears throat> the newest thing is, and it's in part a function of the fact that the show airs weekly rather than daily, is I'm a lot more involved in decisions outside of I'm going to say this, right? Like a production meeting for doing a daily show is what do you want to say about this? Oh, okay, cool. And then they'll tell you when to say it. And then you go from there. This just has a lot more moving parts and a lot more things that require my input that ordinarily I would be able to just let somebody else do, but it's not that simple, right? Like my name is on this in a way that's different than anything that I've done otherwise. Yeah, because I assume you're like helping to choose the topics and, you know, really shape the show in a way you probably weren't for, for other media. Well, I mean... I would say on the ESPN shows, I was helping to choose the topics. On this one, I'm choosing the topics. Like, it's not even a help sort of situation on this. Like, this is a clearer distillation of what I would want to do and what I would want to talk about than the shows I'd been on before. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, that, that's something obviously that I deal with. We deal with uh, on this show where we're not just looking for, we want the biggest stories, but we also want something where I can tell a story and make it interesting and, you know, something that, a bigger audience might be drawn in by what are you looking for for you know, your your like one shot of the week well 
one, I'm looking for something that is very, very commonly relatable. Like, I'm not trying to go too far afield. I don't think we have enough trust from an audience that we're not at the place where we can tell them what they should care about. What we got to do is find the things that people already care about and then put them in a form of fashion that is different than what they've heard before, right? Like, that's that for me is what the biggest thing is. So I'm not looking for minuscule topics. I'm looking for big ones. But finding the thing that nobody has said in this space about the big topic or nobody's been in a position to explore using the tools that we got to try to explore it. But that's the biggest thing for me. Yeah. And finding that unique take, obviously, is is its own challenge. I mean, one thing I've appreciated about your voice um, in, you know, in, in the years you've been on TV is that, I mean, TV sports talk shows tend toward these like big bombastic takes that are kind of more about starting a fight than about like improving your understanding, your your nuance in on sports and how it fits into a larger picture. Uh, whereas I think you, you managed to get attention for your takes, but there are takes that you could probably feel good about the next day and you can continue defending over time. Yeah, but I also think, though, to be fair to my colleagues, that kind of the notion of bombast in sports television is just a little overstated. Like there was an era about 11, 12 years ago, right? Where that was really what was going on. Where Richard Sherman's getting on TV and telling uh, Skip Bayless that he's better at life than him, right? Like that that model of confrontation really is kind of like faded away now. What you see now on the analyst shows more than anything else is really not many quote-unquote analysts or people who work on it from my position or vantage. You get a lot more former players now. It's a lot more of a nuts and bolts sort of discussion. And so like if you take first take, for example, like Stephen A and Mad Dog kind of have their back and forth and people have arguments, but you don't wake up every day and get on Twitter and be like, oh my God, somebody just said something crazy again. There was a time, you know, where I think that that was happening. But where things are changing and as it affects me more directly is that people don't associate me with a sport in a particular way. So like me and the comms are going to have a place forever within the ESPN um, ecosystem because she is a football person, right? She's in there eating film and all of that stuff. And so there'll always be a place. There was a time, um, you know, that really kind of ended, I guess, three, four years ago, where as a generalist, there was a much bigger place and platform for you on that network. And now with the ways that they do shows, they just don't have seats for that person like they used to. Yeah, I and mean, that's, you know, that point's well taken, um, that things have maybe settled down some and it's you know more about the nuts and bolts. And I do wonder if that's media fragmentation, um, not in a bad way, but just like if you want, you know, analysis of horse racing, you can find that somewhere on the internet, probably somewhere on a show or, you know, whatever your thing is, you can find that. And so there isn't just like, the one, you know, like the nightly news equivalent of sports. Right. I mean, there is, you know, but like it's it's a smaller and smaller segment of the population that's looking for that. Exactly. It doesn't mean the same thing. Like I've I've talked about like as an idea the declining significance of Sports Center because Sports Center really was kind of like what the USA Today hoped to be. Like it was America's sports page. And you could get up and they run that thing all over the morning over and over again. And you catch up on everything and then you come back the next day. Like it served as a utility as much as anything else. And then, of course, was highly entertaining. Like, you know, at its best, it was probably sports television perfection once they had figured all of that stuff out. But people don't need to catch up on the sports news in that same way. Like the, pe- the people that care enough to sit around and watch a network that ain't got nothing but sports are probably checking on this stuff a little bit earlier. So what is what do you see your place as as a generalist who is still has the show where, you know, it could be it could be NBA, it could be NFL, it could be, you know, something weird happened in golf. Like, how do you 
make a place for yourself that is a spot where people want to to go to you week after week? Um, I guess my place is game theory at this point. Um, and what we do really at this point is just try to make the best show that we possibly can every week, right? And make something so that when people show up and they get a chance to check it out for the first time, it becomes something that they think they want to see again, or at the very least something that when they hear there's a big story that's going on, they want to find out um, in this place if we're talking about it. Because I think my place in the game, like I did something for the Washington Post a couple of years ago, I did an interview with them where I said, I don't know where exactly my place is in the industry as it has changed. But the truth is, my place is mine. And the way that I've done this has never really been about going to find that open lane or whatever it is. I am a type of person or the talent that I have, I think is such that you can come up with what it is that you're coming up with and you can think of something where, hey, Bomani might be good for that. Or you might come and be like, hey, Bomani, we got this thing we want to do and we want to do it with you. Um, what I'm doing now is kind of a combination of both of those scenarios, but that's where it is. Like I'm at a place now in my career where I'm less concerned with figuring out how I fit into those things than I am trying to find things that are mine and then take them and do business with people off of it. When I was trying to think of stuff to ask you, one question that came to mind was, you know, if you're like, if there's stuff you're conflicted about as someone who's, um, whose livelihood, and, you know, I'm in the same boat, obviously, is is built on sports, and sports aren't always, you know, um, a shining example of what we want to see in the world. But I'm, I'm wondering if that's even the right question, because your platform gives you a, uh, a way to address those. Yeah, though I would say, so for example, I don't feel conflicted about consuming college sports because i think on that for example i do work with the platform right like i think in the way that you talk about it goes there nfl football is a little different right yeah like, that's I, often I, where my mind goes yeah <laughs> like i mean yeah that i do there are plenty of things that i find morally objectionable about the nfl i am also a participant in capitalism and a lot of other things that i probably would say that i find to be morally objectionable yes um, I would probably make the argument, though I'm louder about college sports issues than I am about the NFL issues, and I don't have an explanation for it. Like, it's not because I'm existing out of some fear that all of a sudden Goodell's going to find out I was being mean to them or somebody going to come shut us down or, you know, anything like that. But I think that's the place. Like, when the DeMar Hamlin thing happened in the whole way, I was like, look, as soon as they find out he ain't going to die, it's going to be back to business as usual, including me. Right. Like it wasn't just a finger point sort of expedition. I was like, yeah, including me. That's when you just realized like, yeah, no, nah, we've we've that's where the Faustian bargain has definitely come up. Yeah. And that is we have these moments like Damar Hamlin. There's any number like Colin Kaepernick where people always say, well, at least maybe this will start a conversation about these issues. And they do for a little while, but that conversation tends to last, you know, whatever, a week, two weeks, maybe a month. I mean, Kaepernick's maybe a, not a great example because that conversation has lasted longer, but it's, but, but it does feel like we get back to business as usual pretty quickly on a lot of stuff. Yeah, like Kaepernick, certainly, I think it was more lasting and it's something that we're going to look at almost like in a very historical um sort of context a lot of these other things i honestly think that in this day and time we ain't got so much of a capacity to keep up with so many of these scandals like if it ain't one thing it's another like i don't know how much time people have to lean in on any one thing because honestly it just becomes totally exhausting if you like we have access to so much information which is a blessing and curse um of what it, of what happens but in the end i thought with hamlin i didn't think that that was the one that should have caused questions like that one was just a little bit weird what happened and what i mean by weird is just talking to former players 
what happened to him was not something any of them had on their bingo cards. All right. It's like of all the terrible things that could happen to you while playing football, they didn't see that one as being something that could come up. That's what shook so many of them up in that point. But that wasn't an example of just how terrible and dangerous football is. That one right there and what I found, it's just that we thought he died, right? Because we've seen people that we thought were paralyzed and they ain't never think about stopping those games and we ain't think about stopping watching, to be perfectly honest. That one was just weird because they thought the dude died. And the likelihood of that happening again before our eyes is actually pretty low. And as a result, I don't think there was any reason for people to get too deep into their questions. But once they start asking the questions and they get to a place that's going to involve you can't watch football no more, they're going to stop asking questions. Like they're not, they're not, I don't think that people approach this looking for answers. I think they approach it looking for absolution. And they're looking for somebody to tell them it's okay for them to continue doing this. And if somebody comes up and says it's not okay, they stop it before they get there. A moment a, f- a few seasons ago in Formula One, I saw this retroactively on the on the Netflix show Drive to Survive, where someone comes very close to dying. He there's like this terrible fiery crash. He like it doesn't look like he's gonna walk out of it. Then he does, and uh, and then they just start the race again. <laughs> like I'm like half an hour later or something. And they have this moment where uh, you know retroactively they're um, like they talk to Toto Wolf, the Mercedes boss, and he's like, yeah, we're animals. Like you know that was scary, but but we're competition animals, and like it's not like we're just gonna like not do this race we all came for. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing with sports. It's such a juggernaut. Yeah, well, I also think that I think that people have this expectation that everybody else is living in a fantasy. And then when something happens, all of a sudden sobering reality has arrived. And now you have this whole new perspective on what was going on. Now, nah, these cats, they know for a while that some of this might happen. Right. It's not like, oh, my gosh, somebody got his leg broken in three. I can't believe that happened. What am I doing? They're like, what I'm doing is this thing where your leg might get broken into three. You know, so there's going to be some people that are more shaken up by it, but not everybody finds those moments to be sobering. A lot of people are sober about what this is already. We went down kind of a, you know, more serious path there. But what's something, just to wrap us up here, uh, what are you excited about in the next, you know, like month or two in the sports world? What's, what's getting you going? Oh, man, it's about to be the most exhausting time of my life, the NBA playoffs, where I feel like I'm working a double shift every day because I'm up till 1 o'clock in the morning trying to watch as much basketball as I possibly can. Like, I was looking at it. Um, if the season ended today, you'd have Phoenix and Golden State in the first round. Like, we have, I don't think any of us have any idea who's going to win the West, and there's legitimate intrigue in the East. Like, this... The NBA has a weird relationship with people watching it on television at this point. But man, the players are as good as they've ever been. I know it's a little iffy on who's going to play on what given night or whatever else, but that's not going to be the case in the playoffs. And it's about to be here. And I just, I look forward to this time of year every year. And it looks like it's going to be as good as ever this year. Yeah, yeah, it's a great league right now. Do you care to give us a, a pick for NBA champ or is just too much, Ooh. too many variables? I mean, if I had to go with somebody, if there's a healthy Chris Middleton, I would go with the Bucks because if I'm not sure which way to go, I'm going with the best player in the league. And Giannis is the best player in the league. I think Jokic is no question the MVP this year, but the best player in the league is Giannis. Yeah. All right. Very nice. All right. Bomani Jones, host of HBO's Game Theory and the Right Time podcast with ESPN. Thank you so much for joining us. Great conversation. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. We have lots of March Madness coverage on the horizon and a whole lot more. Shoot us a message at today at frontofficesports.com. Let me know what you'd like to hear more of, who you'd like to hear from, and we'll see you tomorrow.